Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com/results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com/results. Terms and conditions apply. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, this is the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast, first show of the week. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Ken. Hi, there. How are you? Hello there, Kenny. I'm doing well. After weeks of bad news around... Sorry, he did say hello to me there. It was just almost completely inaudible to the listener. Just just to put it on the record. Bad news, bad energy has followed the athletics world around. Like a bad smell, Murph. If that mm. makes any sense over the last few weeks, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's okay. The, the sp- bad energy has a bad smell. The yeah. sport has been saved, and all it took was the charisma, talent, and star quality of one man. The great Daly Thompson has rekindled your love of athletics, girl. Yeah, why not? Uh, well, I don't know if anyone else got up at uh, you know at the crack of noon yesterday to uh, watch the BBC Two uh, World Athletics Championship coverage. Got off to a pretty bad start. Uh, Gabby Logan had a cold and had one of those moments where you've got a frog in your throat and there's a line that you need to read and the longer the line gets the more froggy your throat gets Mm. Um, so she you know nearly died within kind of 30 seconds of the broadcast starting but she welcomed her two guests anyway Michael Johnson uh, impeccably attired in uh, dinner jacket sure he always looks uh, very sharp no tie dinner jacket yeah Right. And uh, is not a slacks. tuxedo, a dinner jacket. Well, uh, what, what what am I talking about then? You a know, s- that, sport coat, sport jacket. That's sport. it. Yeah, a sport, but not you know Nike emblazoned or anything. Okay. And uh, sitting beside the impeccably attired uh, Michael Johnson was Daley Thompson in a pair of tracksuit bottoms <laughs> and a t-shirt. And I was sitting there watching this right, and I hadn't left the house, and I looked out and I was like, I am as well dressed right now, at you know, half eleven on a Sunday morning, as Daley Thompson is, and he's on national television, and that's probably not not great. Uh, but I thought, you know, hey, Daley Thompson obviously has some serious analytical game. If he shows up to work 
in a pair of tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> I mean, like if if I'm Daley Thompson, I mean, I'm I'm going to speculate wildly here. Yeah, uh, Daley Thompson was one of the great British athletes of the 1980s. He's not a guy that we have seen on television a whole lot in those intervening years. I would say throughout the noughties, you know, on the BBC at Sykes coverage, did we see Daley Thompson? Not not very much. Say, yeah. yeah, I would say that. You know, this is probably a big deal for Daley Thompson to be on television during the broadcast of a World Athletics Championship. Uh, he probably, I would have thought, would want to make a pretty good go of this. Um, but he, he's not a particularly good analyst. You know, he's he's pretty, you know, uh, monotone. Uh, doesn't really have a whole lot to say for himself. So, you know, I, I just kind of thought that the tracksuit bottoms were... It was just a weird thing. A ballsy thing. call, yeah. yeah. I think you're just still smarting from his anti-Irish remark that he made a few years back. Remember this? Daley Thompson was caught up in an anti-Irish storm. Just oh, look it up here. The, the BBC was forced into making an apology after Thompson, uh, blah, 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 remarked that a tattooist who misspelled the word Olympics must have been Irish. Oil and pink. Oil and pink it yeah. was written. Really hitting us where it hurts there, Daley. Yeah. That way. is, yeah. God, I do remember that. Wow, not, yeah. Yeah, not sure if Justin Gatlin is a fan of Daley Thompson or not. I know he won't have watched any of that coverage. But he knows all about it, though. He knows the line that the BBC took, which was very much uh, a good versus evil tone to the to the comedy. There's actually even been footage posted today over the last couple of days of Brendan Foster and other BBC commentators celebrating wildly as Gatlin is beaten by Usain Bolt. His agent today says, Justin, as well as I feel, the British media and journalists have been extremely unkind to him. There's been nothing positive said about him for some time. Every characterization is solely about doping and vilify, vil, uh, vilifying him. So to maintain his own dignity and self-respect, he feels it's best not to speak to them. He's tremendously hurt by these attacks. As human beings, we should be better than that. The BBC in particular should report about They're lacing their comments and reporting with biased views. I have to say, I was really surprised by what I saw from those BBC journalists that is what they are, mm-hmm. I guess, in the press box um, when the, the the race... It was ridiculous. They're jumping up and down like idiots. This is They're supposed to be there to cover an event. Ireland could win the World Cup and I would not behave like that in the press box. You would? No, I wouldn't. I honestly would not behave. I would not I lose would. it to that extent. I would... Maybe I would shed a quiet tear of pride. I, I might even punch the air a little... We've finally done it. I knew we'd get here. I knew this. I knew. I always knew this day would come. But if you, you know, would I jump up and down like an idiot? I don't. I honestly don't think I would. We'll have a listen to Steve Cram and Colin Jackson calling the races. The TV commentary. You might well have seen it. Bolt gets out pretty well. So does Rogers. Gatlin's got out a little bit better though. And Bolt and Gatlin are right together here. It's Gatlin at the moment. Here comes Usain Bolt, and Bolt gets it. Oh, does he? I think he has. Usain Bolt. It's very, very tight. But I think he's done it. He's saved his title. He's saved his reputation. He may have even saved his sport. Go on, you're looking at me. How has he saved his reputation by that, by the way? I don't understand. Well, if he'd been beaten... He doesn't. He just doesn't get beaten at these major events. So his reputation is is for 100% victory. Well, except when he falls. I think. I th- personally, I think his reputation would have survived losing to Justin Gatlin <laughs> yeah. there. But you know, if that's why Steve Cram was so and saved his sport, I mean, I, I I don't understand that either. You can see where they're coming from on that, though, surely. Well, uh, no, the, I think I think it's if, stupid. If, I think if, it's childish. If the two-time drug cheat had come back and won the World Championships, as most people were expecting him to do, after the few weeks that they've had uh, of stories that have been swirling around the place in athletics, it's not good. 
uh, everybody, almost everybody to a man and woman was up for Usain Bolt. Yeah. On the assumption that Usain Bolt is clean. Well, I, 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 found, I found myself wishing Gatlin had won after I'd listened to that nonsense. Really? Well, I just thought it was ridiculous. I mean, first of all, it's so sanctimonious, right? At the point of, like, pointing, pointing the fingers, the guy's allowed to compete. Okay, he's been banned twice. He's, he's been suspended twice. And he's now back. So he's allowed to compete. Mm-hmm. All right? So, it, you, know, it is a, uh, you know, on that basis, I don't really see why this is... Are they the same way with people who are let out of prison after they've done something? Basically, they, they can never be forgiven. They might as well just... All sentences should be life sentences. All sentences should be break rocks. Break rocks forever because no one is ever going to, you're never going to be able to get a chance to start again. Okay, now, you know, we all know that Justin Gatlin, the problem with him is that he cheated once, he got caught. He said he wouldn't do it again. He did it again. He got caught again. Now he says he's not doing it this time. Oh, not even saying that he he has never admitted to cheating on either of those occasions. The first one was supposedly, um, was it attention deficit disorder? So it was medication anyway that, that, that he was using. The second time was supposedly a masseur. It was a mistake. It was, it was too, you know, there Push was a, a little lot bit of testosterone. Was a grudge. There was a lot of testosterone. Right that right. old, hoary old chestnut, the masseur with a grudge. So, so we're like, oh, you know, you've, you've, you've fooled us twice now, Justin. Are we going to let that happen again? Right? I, I, I do actually think that it's right to uh, expect... You know, kind of like in Ireland during World War Two, neutral on the side of the Allies, neutral on the side of Usain Bolt in your coverage. Mm. But the idea that you could be so boldly dancing in up and jumping up and down in the press room, literally whacking each other on the back and on the legs, celebrating like Usain Bolt was English yeah. for a start, or like, like you were Usain Bolt's mother. Yeah, I bet Usain Bolt's mother. Wasn't as excited yeah. as those BBC commentators. I've seen him do this twice before. I mean, yeah. To me, to me, I'm kind of thinking that you know that's not the way. First of all, to point the finger at Gatlin like that, saying, "Look at the bad man. There's the bad man." The implication of it is that's not me. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I, look at me. I'm I'm somebody who points the finger at somebody who's bad. The implication is, you know, I'm therefore above above this. You know, I just I find I find that to be a little bit, a little bit black and white about the way the the world is. But you know, this way. Gatlin, okay, I can understand people don't want to get burned a third time by believing in Justin Gatlin. <laughs> okay, but if you don't believe in Justin Gatlin, assuming nobody does, assuming there's nobody left who really believes that they can trust Justin Gatlin, that this time he's decided he's not going to, there's not going to do anything that might result in a positive test, right? In that case, he should be able to beat Usain Bolt. He should be able to beat Usain Bolt. I mean, these are two top sprinters at the very top of their uh, of their game you know and if you one say of them isn't really bad season. if one of them is taking drugs and the other one isn't i would expect the one who's taking drugs to win that race well you saying bolt is the greatest sprinter of all time it's, you can't just say one's a sprinter another one's a sprinter but then why why didn't tyson gay win you know they're all they're not all at the exact same level and therefore well, the one tyson. person who does drugs wins and the second and the other person uh, it's it, uh, to me it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one it, to me the the fact the mere fact that if you, if you're first of all saying this guy shouldn't be here he's a doper then you're cheering for the guy that beats him. I'm thinking, the guy that beats him, you know, if you're so convinced this guy's doping, then I have to, then I'm not going to get too carried away about the guy who, who's beating him either because I'm worried I'm, I'm, worried I'm going to get burned. You know, Justin Gallon mightn't be the only person in this race who's going to burn me. We're going to talk to David Gillick about all this a little bit later on. I might have if time asked David a technical question as well about the last 10 metres, which I thought was extraordinary when... Um, Poor old Gatlin just wobbled mercil- uh, ridiculously and lost his uh, 
lost his composure, I think. Lost his form, certainly. Uh, where was I going to go? I wanted to mention... Oh, yeah, Murph. I was going to make a clunky analogy between the sprint at the weekend go and on. the Gaelic football. Kerry played the role of Usain Bolt at Croke Park, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> to Tyrone's just... Well, I think, I think Tyrone would have a very fair case to make that you are now one of the media vultures, the scum, uh, Owen, of the media, who are tarnishing their, for, their past uh, victories and now colouring the views of referees up and down the country <laughs> with that sort of uh, skullduggery. I saw Keith Duggan say... And I'm not going to have any part of it, Owen, quite frankly. I saw, yeah, you're yeah. trying to get me into trouble here, Owen, but I'm not biting. I saw Keith Duggan say that the, he didn't use the word redemption, but that, that was the sort of tone of his introduction to his piece today, that Tyrone have uh, themselves been charactered in certain ways over the last couple of weeks, but they contributed to an epic semi-final, or near enough an epic. It was certainly epic for a few minutes around the 70, 60 minute Yeah, mark. yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought the game was quite good. I mean, I thought the first half was, was good, and I thought the last 10 minutes were very good. Uh, the third quarter was, you know, pretty dour. Um, I think there is an element of us being so desperate for a really high... Like, just wait till next Sunday. Next Sunday is actually going to be a really good game. You know, there's a lot of people saying, finally, the championship is sparked. Yeah. Uh, You're not as blown away. Yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I, I think there's an awful lot to admire in this Kerry team. And, uh, you know, t- like, Toronto are pretty good. I mean, Toronto are pretty good. I mean, they're a long, long way away from the team of 2008. I mean, God, they're a million miles from that team, I think, to be honest. Um, and, you know, they, they, they played to contain Kerry, and they did contain them for a long time and you know but I, mean, I, w- I would I would say it, would fall, it fell well short of an epic um, but yeah Kerry showed plenty to be to be uh, uh, to admire Mike Quirk will join us on this Sushi McConville has taken a seat Oshin how are you? Owen has form uh, pretty good pretty good now uh, we have spoken quite critically about Tyrone in the last week or two discipline wise and all of that did they redeem themselves at all for you yesterday? yeah they probably did redeem themselves I think their integrity is intact this morning um but that probably doesn't hold much water with them because they were beaten. And I suppose, <laughs> yeah, they'd much rather we're here talking about something yeah, negative. Sinister, sinister, yeah. sinister, sinister, sinister and then back in the old Ireland final, yeah. Funny, they weren't too far away, Owen. Um, I, I thought tactically yesterday, Mickey Hart, at least for the first 35 minutes, certainly Trump, David Fitzmaurice. Uh, just one of the things, uh, and we we'll probably, if you want to get straight into it, is, oh, yeah. is um, the Kerry kickouts. Um, you know, um, one of the things that that Tyrone would have had, would have, th- I would have thought that Tyrone would have done was, you know, push out, push up as far as they could, maybe split one and and have an extra person around the middle of the field. And what they actually did was they completely retreated from the full forward line and let Kerry have the short kick out. So Kerry wanted to kick to the middle of the field, but they look out. Keely looks out and he sees a load of bodies out there, and he's thinking, well, look at they're giving us possession, so let's take it. And time after time, Kerry coughed up possession. And I just thought, you know, Mickey Hart, just for that one little thing in the first half, you know, got it absolutely spot on. It was working really well for them. The biggest problem Tyrone have is that they didn't convert enough times. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, and even last year, we talked about Dublin, about the amount of goal chances they created and the, and the amount of goal chances they failed to pull away. And it brings me back to Tyrone this year and a couple of times against Monaghan, but in particular a couple of times against Sligo when they were overrunning them. And Sean Cavanagh went through a couple of times and he fisted the ball over the bar and there was players inside him. And the only time you can recreate 
that sort of situation is actually in a game. Now, you can try and recreate it in training, and, and coaches, and I know I try and do it all the time, that, but it's it's so artificial. But, you know, if you actually do it during a game and you finish those goal chances, you have confidence and you sort of know, you know what you're doing. You know the players who are going to be inside. And honestly, Owen, you know the players who you're going to give it to who are going to finish it. And uh, More McCur- importantly, you know the ones you won't. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the ones that you have to run over and practically grab the ball out of their hands. <laughs> but uh, McCurry was inside McCallisky in the first half and he should have slipped him. And if he had slipped him in, McCurry probably would have finished that goal chance and it would have made life very, very difficult for Kerry going in at half time. Kerry went in at half time, a point up, and probably if Tyrone had been a little bit more clinical, could have been three or four points up. Yeah, I think that uh, it is a mindset. You have to get a team into a mindset whereby. Right, we're a team that gets goals, you know, and I, I was actually at that Sligo game, it was before a goal had only goal, and Tyrone left Sligo in that game for so much longer than, than they needed to, and the, the Dublin thing is actually 100% right as well, that Dublin actually got, they actually changed that part of their game, they, you know, they, they go out now in Leinster uh, championship games, and they get goals all yeah. day, like they try and get three or four goals all the time, and like, obviously it was, it, was, it was blatantly obvious to anyone watching the game yesterday, that if Tyrone had taken their goal chances, we could be sitting here having a very different yeah, conversation. Absolutely. Because, and one thing that maybe wasn't mentioned yesterday was that Kerry didn't create any goal chances at all. Hardly yeah. uh, that 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 Tyrone had uh, had the chance to really effectively kill off the game with goals, and they they, they just didn't have the the necessary experience to, to do it. That was a big issue. No, I uh, look at if they, if they had to take one. Or, or two of those goal chances I mean we're, t- we're not talking one or two we're talking probably four decent real decent goal chances that they should have converted a possibility of a penalty uh, whether it's a penalty or not you know th- th- that's up for discussion but apart from the penalty there was four other opportunities to had to slip players in and stick the ball in the back of the net and uh, one of the things that Tyrone needed yesterday in that first half was to, was to try and maybe get in front because when they get in front they're very very difficult to peg back but they just couldn't get in front and in front far enough you know to cause uh, carrying enough ball Mike Quirk uh, was at the game yesterday Mike and it looked as though your uh, your fellow Kerry folk were fairly blown away by the by the win they celebrated the semi-final slightly more in more jubilant fashion than some of the other ones that you guys have got through over the years yeah no, listen listen to you there I don't know how we how we managed to win the game at all <laughs> Well, yeah. Look, look. There's no surprise. Obviously, Tyrone have caused us more hurt than than any other county in the last in the last ten years, twelve, fifteen years, I suppose. And 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 the victory was obviously that little bit sweeter. I, I I think it was more sweet, you know, from the fact that it was such a hard game. It wasn't that Kerry blew him away by fifteen points. It wasn't that it was a lovely sunshine day. It was it was hard work. It was grinding out a result in in wet and and you know an error-ridden game with a load of you know big hits and, and, and collisions and there was no nastiness, no, no none of the stuff that we you know that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. But I, I think just the way that when after the penalty when, when when Tyrone looked like they had you know they had absolutely just grabbed the momentum of the game and, and like they were they were going to possibly overrun Kerry for that ten minutes. That then Kerry showed 
massive resolve outside of you know after the penalty calls and after after all these decisions it, it was a one point game with about five minutes to go and if you include injury time about seven minutes to go and Kerry Kerry just took the game over for that last seven minutes and, and ran out four scores to, to nil and and when you know I think that was the most gratifying thing from a Kerry point of view because that was always the knock on, on the Kerry teams when, when this situation arose against a, you know a, an Ulster opposition like Tyrone who have done it to us in the past that, that they wouldn't you know that they'd blink first or that they'd, they'd fall down but I think that was from that was why I, I think the Kerry people were so really pleased with the game that you know Tyrone put up a serious challenge yesterday and all the things the lads are saying there was goal chances it was huge huge adversity and they really stood up in that last five six seven minutes but it really counted and you know guys like Maher kicking kicking scores and Paul Ganey coming off the bench having a huge, you know it, it was those guys that that got you over the line and I think that was definitely from our point of view the thing that 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 we really take from the game. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the, the big, big names in the Kerry team that started yesterday, you're probably saying Kieran Donaghy, last year's Footballer of the Year, James O'Donoghue, Colin Cooper, the best player of the last 25 years, David Moran, the best midfielder in Ireland. None of those four guys, really, you could say, had no. a major part in, in the actual winning of the game. And it actually doesn't matter. Anthony Maher was brilliant. He was my man of the match, I, w- I would have thought. Dunica Walsh, Johnny Buckley, uh, Ganey, as you say. It actually doesn't matter that... That you know, like if you if you look at say Tyrone's three best players, Maddie Donnelly, Peter Hart, Sean Cavanagh, pretty much nullified, and they Tyrone just couldn't recover from that. If you stop four or five of Kerry's best players, the the next four or five will step up and and win the game for you. Yeah, and and that's you know like yesterday, Tommy Welch again didn't get get a minute of action. Paul Galvin didn't get a minute of action. Uh, you know, there's there's, there's it's 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 just Fitzmaurice has created. I spoke about this last time. Fitzmaurice has created something so unique to, in the GAA, where yeah. like all of his, all of the guys involved in that panel and that squad have 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 basically a blank slate to this morning, and that they know if 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 I really really perform and I outperform the other guys going for my position, I have a chance. If not starting, I've certainly getting into the to the to the mix for the substitutes to come on, and and. Like I know that's been said a lot of times and stuff, but it's it's so very very unique in the GA that you actually have that real kind of a open and ended environment inside in training where I can you know like Fionn Fitzgerald, Fionn Fitzgerald got toasted by Donica Donica O'Connor in the in the in the first game in in uh, in Killarney. He kicked the equalising score and he hasn't been seen since. He, he's been he's been gone after radar. And Mark Shea gets a black card after 14 minutes. Fionn's been going well in training. You're in ahead of Manny, who was who was off getting married for himself last week. And 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 you know, out of the cold, bang into the game, and 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 comfortable again. Good ball player and, and performs really well. And 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 it's just something that Fitzmaurice has been able to create below there, which which certainly in my time was never the case. That you know, there were, we, you know, you'd always say, yeah, the best guy in training, get the jersey. That was never the case. But but now. It is the case, and 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 all those guys like Paul Ganey gets dropped. Paul Ganey came on. I thought I thought Paul Ganey was nearly you know he if he had kicked another point he was close to man of the match in in one half you know and it's just something very special that Fitzmaurice has created and and they've all bought into it and and it's really paying dividends. Is it unique, Oshin? Is that not what most good managers do? Most good teams? No, it's what most of them say maybe. Yeah, it's very hard to get that within a within a GA context at the minute, and and it's probably easier if you are more successful. You know, if you are going for all errands and you Kil- are Kilkenny and the hurling is actually another example. Some of the qualities that uh, that Mike lists there, yeah, are exactly probably, the same sort of dynamics that play in the Kilkenny. And you probably could say Dublin as well. To be fair, um, you know, I, I've seen you know, and especially in the in the counties that are really struggling at the minute. That you know, 
as soon as a player is left off, he's almost he's gone. He's almost gone off the panel. So that's a big thing. But just going back to yesterday's game, I mean, Kerry nullif- more or less nullified uh, Donnelly, Matty Donnelly, Sean Kavanagh, and Peter Hart. Like I, b- I believe, and Mike, I was not the game. I was I was uh, I was walking, and we were doing it from studio, but. Uh, one of the things about uh, the game yesterday was that I was surprised that I think it was Paul Murphy, if I'm right, was picked up Peter Hart. We didn't see any of Paul Murphy. We didn't see any of Peter Hart. And that was the job that he was given and sort of sacrificed his game as, as a result. But the other thing about, about Kerry, I think, is that I look back to last year's programme and I've I seen that, you know, that uh, they only made two outfield changes from last year. Aidan O'Mahony was probably a force change from the fact that he was off getting married and probably a toss of a coin between Donaghy and Ganey on who played. Uh, but I just think that they were sort of set up as similar to the set up against, uh, against Donegal. Maybe not just as defensive, but uh, they were well organised. And I think he feels as if that's his best team. If he's coming up against a Northern team, that that's his best team. Now, this sounds surprising, and Mike, you can disagree with me if you like, but I, I think there'll be, a, there'll be a lot of changes going into the going into the All-Ireland fight. I think he will make changes. I think if between now and then, you know, somebody... Like, I think if Darren O'Sullivan really puts his hands up between now and, and the All-Ireland final, I think, especially against the Dubs, that he's somebody that could play against the Dubs and start maybe against the Dubs. And even though Stephen O'Brien's done really, really well, I think, you know, he could be the one that could be sacrificed from that half-hour lane, but... You look at yesterday's game. We think of you. Know, I think of Kerry, and I think of them. You know, I think of the silky forwards they have, and I think of Cooper, and I think of Donahue, and I think of the big ball into Donahue. But it was none of those things that really worked yesterday. And and even when he took on Ganey, and I know Mahar had a brilliant game, and I know Donahue Walsh had a brilliant game. But I thought Ganey, for his contribution in those thirty-five minutes, was certainly my man of the match because he changed completely, changed the way the game was being played, the way. Kerry thought about that, uh, about that first time ball into the full forward line. It was still first time, and they were still trying to, you know, at, if it was on, it was still going to the full forward line, but it wasn't the, the high ball in that, that Donaghy was getting. There was a little bit more thought into it. Ganey's movement is particularly good. He just runs the channel. He just runs from left to right. All he's looking for is two yards of space. When he gets it, he knows what to do. If it's if it's giving it to Cooper off his shoulder like he did, or if it's it's turning and kicking the score, and I think he's an exception. He's somebody who probably can't be left out either in the in the other final. Well, it sounds like everyone's quite enthusiastic about this. Then, Mike, um, as as Oshin says, there there could be changes coming into the final. Last year was seen somehow was it was managed to be seen as a, a bit of a smash and grab job or as a one that came in, in maybe a little bit unexpected fashion. Was there is there confidence now that this team is is here to stay? Is Eamon Fitzmaurice Kerry could uh, could easily win this and maybe start to dominate? I, yeah, I, I don't know about starting to dominate. I, I suppose, yeah, you could say that. I, I think there is definitely a confidence after, you know, after. I think when beating beating Donegal last year and, and getting that kind of, you know, like you're saying, it's an unexpected one. And now people are starting to say, hang on, these, these guys are actually pretty, you know, they're, they're not bad. We, you know, we could possibly win another All-Ireland. And, and now you're seeing, you know, last year's we win the minor. This year's guy's going to be in a minor final, have a great chance of winning a minor. I just think there's a bit of a, an air of euphoria around the place now in Kerry that, 
you know, all of a sudden it's been it's been the fastest kind of 12-1 turnaround of all time from from a crowd that were absolutely done and dusted and turned a scrap heap just over a year ago to now, you know, we're talking about possible domination for the next couple of years again, which is, you know, down here, which we don't mind talking about, but it's it's uh you know, it's a big it's a big turnaround and and I, I think again, you know, like Oshin saying about about Paul Ganey and Fitzmaurice, Fitzmaurice is Fitzmaurice has created all this stuff for for himself. You know, he's he's after he's after making some big changes and he makes some big calls when he needs to make them. But the whole thing of, of the atmosphere that he's creating in, in training is the is the thing I keep going back to that's that's very, very different. And and you know, Murph said it there. All managers talk about this stuff that I'll pick the best team and I'll bring on the best guys, but they're always remain loyal to the guys that, that they have the you know that they have in front of them. Like Fitzmaurice is a huge, huge call coming down the tracks for for the for the final, depending on who the opposition is, whether whether he's going to start his captain or not. You know, Fitzmaurice is, is good buddies with Donahue, you know, and, and, and Donahue being a captain, you know, it's a huge, huge call. But this this guy is capable of doing anything. You know, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if he started Ganey. But but again, if you're playing me or you're playing somebody, you might want to stick him in there. He could start Tommy Welch. He's, he's capable of doing anything at all. And I think he just gives the supporters fierce confidence and knowing that this guy really is making these best calls or the, the calls that are the best for the team and for the county as opposed to any kind of personal agendas. You know, Paul Paul, Paul, Paul uh, Galvin, his brother-in-law, you know, no action yesterday. It would have been a real kind of romantic thing to, to bring Galvin on with five, ten minutes to go. A guy who was, you know, burned by the, by Tyrone, you know, many times in the 2000s, uh, sitting in the stand in a game we looked like winning with a couple of minutes to go, throw him on for two or three minutes. But there's no there's no sentiment there with Fitzmaurice. It's it's cold stuff and it's, it's the guy that'll do the best job for I mean, and I think that's that is what's what's given these guys and has given us, I suppose, as, as supporters, a, a bit of confidence going forward. Yeah. Um. The one thing that I, I'm interested to hear you say that there is an element of of euphoria about about Gary. It's it's understandable, but uh, they held on onto the ball for I would say well over a minute between the 63rd and 64th minutes. Played the ball back and over across the field like numerous kick passes in the opposite direction, away from uh, back towards their own goal. I was in Croker for Galway Donegal, and when Donegal did that at stages in the first half, Crow Park actually the crowd started booing them, um, and I'd never I'd never heard it before. Well, I heard it maybe the, the, during the Donegal Dublin semi final in twenty eleven, um, but it, like it was quite something to be sitting in Crow Park and hear so, hear a team getting booed for a style of play as opposed to you know like an act of violence or whatever um, yeah, and it's, yeah. I, it's 30, just uh, yeah I'm just 35 passes in that play more yeah 35 passes and it led to it led to Gooch getting fouled for a tap over free just just a right of the post and it, and it was one of the most beautiful minutes and a half I ever stood yeah. watching it uh, croak back like there was people around me you know uh, roaring will you leave it in kick it in the ball yeah, that's, and, what, that's what I'm saying uh, Mike like I, every know. time you go to a club game you know, this is what you hear. You know that there, yeah. there, 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 yeah. there comes a time, and it's usually about three hand passes into a move yeah, when yeah. the crowd start bawling to, you know, for. Oh, sorry, a, for I the, start shouting at that stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is prospectly Edmund though, really, Oshie? But uh, no, I mean, I, like it, it, that there, it, there is a culture there, and it's not just a Kerry thing. It, it, there's a culture there amongst fans where that this the the patience required to play football in that in that way. It gets up people's noses a small bit, and I'm I'm curious to hear that as long as Kerry keep winning, that there that that's not a problem down there. But I I think it's your opposition, uh, yeah, Murph. You know, I mean, it's the only way you can play against that kind of a zone. You know, a zone defense. You have to you have to be extremely patient, and you have to. 
you know, do all the technical things like switching the point of attack from one side of the field to the other. You got to draw them out of. You know, they they were making the field so compact inside the forty five that there was there was zero space for guys to make that, you know, make movement and, and it was it was a combination of things that helped Ganey be so effective with his movement. It was that it was that Kerry began to become really, really patient with the ball and, and started to play the ball around the sixty five and drew drew the defenders out a little bit, which provided a few more pockets of space. You know, it was like the the people around me, the Kerry field that were roaring to kick the ball in, they were they were going to be the exact same people that once the ball was kicked and it was coming back out, they were going to be lambasting the guy for kicking the ball <laughs> in and giving it away in the first place. Yeah. You know, so like I I just thought that the way Kerry played, you know, and the patience they showed you know, it was very, very mature and, and, and I think it came again from that victory over Donegal that this was this is the template we gotta follow. Mind the ball, keep the ball, you know, and and and, and they did that really well and they frustrated, you know, Tyrone to coming out and, and, and making a couple of fouls. Did they did you enjoy that minute and a half or do you feel they should have been letting it in long? No, well they they couldn't have let it in long. I mean, uh you know I think every time uh, Kerry got the ball, I seen them looking up and seeing what was on inside. And if it wasn't on, then they were patient, they were switching it from one side of the field to the other. But as Mike says, they were protecting the ball. And the thing about Ganey was that, unlike Donaghy, who, ma- who makes a run and maybe gets, try and gets back into full forward, Ganey was able to make four or five runs. And I think probably on his fourth or fifth on that particular play, he got the ball and he slipped the, the, the gooch. He didn't think about, am I going to you know, turn, am I going to have a shot? Gooch coming off his shoulder, he slips it to him. I think that was McCrory's black card as well, um, that, that particular incident. But I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, as we go on now and we go into the final, like, how difficult is it for 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 an opposition manager to plan against, uh, against Kerry? Because first of all, you're not really sure what team he's going to play. It makes a big, big difference if he plays Donaghy on the square or he plays Ganey on the square. Um, Ganey's good actually in the air, but he gives you he offers you something slightly different. And I'll go back to the game, the semi-final a couple of years ago that uh, that everybody loved the D- Dublin uh, Kerry game, and there was no Donaghy playing in that game. And I think if it is the Dubs, they may refer refer back to that, and if to it's that game. And if it's Mayo, I think they'll play Donaghy. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I find it extraordinary. That and those si- people who are in the, in the crowd would be right in saying, Laurie. Yeah, <laughs> in that case, listen to the, listen to the crowd. But I, mean, I, like, I, I do think it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, this, the situation we find ourselves in, that you're talking about Paul Ganey, who is a better footballer than Paddy McBurty, I would say. There's a lot of forwards out there with a big reputation yeah. that I would say Paul Ganey is a better player than. Uh, and he didn't start yesterday. And it's you know six to five and pick him that he'll that, he, that he'll start in the Ireland final, a, and he's an exceptional footballer. He had a cousin playing from right, Mike. He had a cousin playing in the minor game as well. It didn't look too bad. Yeah, like he yeah, kicked three right, or four points forwards, from yeah, play. Yeah, uh, and and you know like you're like like Barry John Keane. Barry John Keane. Fitzmaurice described him yesterday as your unluckiest guy in the squad. Barry John came on with about. 90 seconds to go and he got about three touches and 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 kicked over the the, the you know the the ceiling point to, to put us up four points and you know and he can't get a sniff you know he kicked one three against Kildare and he gets about 90 seconds yesterday and still produces a point and it's yeah it's just I think they're they're in a good place and you know you you mentioned the kickouts earlier uh, Oshin just just to go back to it very briefly like Fitzmar like in the first half it was very obvious that Kerry you know wanted Keeley to kick the ball long it was yeah. something obviously that they, that they organised and planned for and Tyrone withdrew so much into the middle it made no sense and, and to be fair Fitzmaurice sent on his 
his runner pretty quickly and told him, listen, start, start knocking the ball short. But the big, the big thing with the kickouts was, was Morgan in the second half that, you know, Tyrone or that Kerry really cracked his kickouts and, and he cracked himself a little bit and, you know, started shanking a couple of them and pulling them, you know, to Donica Welch and different things. And that was the big thing that once Kerry kind of pushed up on his kickout and eliminated the kind of handy one, you know, that, I think, I think the winning of the game came, came from that actually from cracking him and getting a couple of scores that that it really kind of broke him, and even the freeze he missed to the end. Yeah. He looked like a, he looked like he was kind of second guessing himself a couple of times. All right, Mike. Just uh, very finally and very briefly, who do you want in the final? I, I think uh, who do I want in the final? I think Mayo are going to win the final. Um, uh, are going to win the semi final. Oh, right, okay. oh, oh, oh. an early prediction there. Yeah. Tickets so, will probably be easier if Mayo get there, so I'll, I'll, I'll take Mayo. I don't know about that either, by the way. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. Listen, great stuff. Mike, good to talk to you. Oshin, thanks so much. Thanks, Owen. Okay, He's a better player than Cooper, in my opinion. He's one of the greatest I've ever seen. In my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. You can't say he's a two-trick pony. In my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. James O'Donnell is different, folks. He's just totally uh, different. Uh, <laughs> uh, in my opinion, Cooper's a two-trick pony. Gooch would say it's All-Ireland uh, winning time, and he goes out and, and wins them. For 12 years. Yeah. I, I, want to, I want to remove myself from that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm definitely sticking with my Cody comparison there. Murph, the more Mike talked about it there, the, the word cold was brought in at some stage. Mm. Yeah, as far as Fitzmaurice doesn't strike, he's a cold person, but I do know what he means there. If, you, if you're not picking your brother-in-law and you're not picking your mate for the team, then you're definitely putting <laughs> success ahead of sentiment, I think it's fair to say. And also, if, if one of your players has the temerity to get married in the summer. Mm. GA, intercounty GA players obviously yeah. should... I mean, he's, right he's lucky. To, he's still lucky. To, he's lucky to still be getting a jersey, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quite frankly. Uh, so yeah, there is definitely a, a hint of the Brian Cody about all that. Yeah, there was one other point that I, that I was hoping to make as well, just in relation to the black card decisions. And a lot of people are getting very upset about these black card decisions. Um, first, and uh, two points really. Uh, and the first one is, if the refs can't get the can't get these black card decisions right, then what the hell is the point in the, having the rule in the first place? Kieran Wheel made the point uh, while he was trying to shout over Joe Brawley on the Sunday game yesterday. Uh, and he said, just get rid of it. Well, I'll tell you why we shouldn't get rid of it. It's Conor McAlisky, uh was running through on goal for one of the really big goal chances yesterday in whatever it was, the 25th minute or 28th minute or something. And if it was hurling, Conor McCaskey would have been taking his life into his own hands, effectively. Uh, we saw what John Hanbury did to Seamus Callan last week, and all of the and all that the sort of the hurling aficionados were talking about afterwards was, well, you know, should Callan have taken the taken the penalty after having nearly having been you know uh, body slammed into the turf by John Hanbury instead of saying we that shouldn't happen, you know, like there was a brilliant goal opportunity there, and the goalie player cynically took the player down and he knew that there was a pretty good chance that they weren't going to get the penalty. I got caught up in that excitement as well. To be honest, there was so much going on around that game that, yeah. uh, and I hadn't actually seen the replay when I, when I got home so I'd only, I was at the far it's end from that, from that incident so I, I do hold my hands up that we didn't really cover that in any yeah. great day or at all actually on the Monday after the game. Yeah, but I mean, it was a terrible tackle. Like yeah. a really, really bad tackle and cynical as, you know, it's the dictionary definition of it. Conor Rakowski ran through uh, the Kerry defence yesterday and... He, there were two carry defenders had a chance to pull him down, but they just said, "It's the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime here, maybe." And he got through on goal and and shot over the bar. Um, the decisions, the, the black card decisions, say the Mark O'Shea one, 
losing Marco Shea after 15 minutes is a big blow to a team. Fionn Fitzgerald comes on, plays really well, as, as we've discussed, and the game goes on as normal. I mean, the, the black card decision against Ronan McNamee, that he, he got a black card when it should have been a yellow, could have been a red. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the conversation we might have been having after that, you know, sorry, the McNabb uh, foul on Colin Cooper, that should have been a red. That should have been a red in my book. Whether McNamee gets a yellow card or a black card doesn't really have any material impact on the game. Shane Enright, if he gets taken off and they have to bring on another brilliant footballer uh, with loads of uh, championship experience, as Kerry would have done in that situation, I don't think it changes the game in any real material way. So I, I just think that there's so much made of these decisions and there's nearly like a cottage industry being made up now of instead of talking you, about the game but you said that they should be kept the black card should be kept there even though it wouldn't of have course made a it should. difference I, I, yeah. I, yeah of course it should be kept All just not talked that, about as much yeah it's not like a, oh, yeah. this idea that, that, that it, it was one of the key moments in the game that Shane Enright didn't get a uh, didn't get a black card and got a yellow card I mean I, I just don't the, the black card has a really the, it, it has a defined rule in the rule book the rule book the rule is working it's just not make or break to the extent that uh, someone getting a yellow card when he should have got a red card. I mean, that's a hu- way more uh, decisive uh, moment in the game that you're just kind of not talking about just because red cards and yellow cards have been there for the last however many years you want to talk about. All right, if you've been looking at our Twitter feed today, you'll have spotted a video there featuring some highlights from our trip to San Francisco earlier this year to visit our pal US Murph. Uh, that's only the first leg of our P-Bezo World Tour, everybody. We're going to make two more trips in the near future. I'm not. Does it count as a world tour if you keep coming back to your home? Country, yeah, uh, that's still a tour. We'll I, I think so. Catch all term, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, well, then it's a P. Yeah, I mean, tour. well, uh, well, we have to jet off around the world. No, well, no, and I mean, I think that we, we, could, we, we couldn't possibly just spend six months flying around to different countries doing shows. That would just be absolutely. That would be mental. horrendous. Stuff, that would yeah. just be ridiculous. This is where you come in, though, you crazy P. Bezoers. We want to know where you think we should go next, uh, particularly if you want us to come to wherever you're living. So London and New York are leading the way at the moment. But you can contact us on Twitter at Second Captains and we'll come to where you are. If there's Melbournians. Enough, if there's enough support. Vancouverites. <laughs> Just really nice, preferably really far away cities. Uh, you know, it's like distance and... Um, well, if you have to talk about average temperatures, of, you yeah. know, well, you know, it's 25 and over. But, I, I mean, know. whatever. You know, whatever. The Irish Times Second Captains football podcast will be out later today. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, Really? Oh, you can laugh. To walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? Know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man? <laughs> Going to divulge some personal information here, huh? Excellent. So I was watching TV there a while back. I can't remember. A couple of weeks ago. And uh, when my wife came into the room, and she she was saying something to me, I can't remember what it was, uh, but I was I was looking at the screen where Slavin Bilic was talking, mm-hmm. uh, and she stopped saying whatever it was she was saying and started looking at Slavin Bilic talking, <laughs> and then she turned around, she was like, "Who's that?" And I said, "That's uh, Slavin Bilic. He's the manager of West Ham," and she said, "I like him." <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought, "All right, okay." And you see, Owen, I think I have this. I have this horrible feeling that David Gold and David Sullivan have have appointed Slavin Bilic as the manager of West Ham for l- largely the same reasons. I mean, my wife doesn't know anything about football, but she does quite like Slavin Bilic. 
And I think that maybe he has ended up in a job which it, it could even be on that the previous uh, guy who did that job, Sam Allardyce, was in fact better at the job, even though not as many people like him. How did your wife react to Sam Allardyce, if she ever saw him in the screen? I, uh, I don't think... Uh, Just walk She by. might have seen him because he's doing, he's doing a lot of TV work yeah. at the yeah. moment. Sam, he's, he was on TV. Uh, he was on... Uh, I'm sure I've seen him in Match of the Day recently. He was on Sky yesterday, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he was. Yeah. He was he, he was on Satanta recently. Was he on Satanta for the Copa America? I think he. Oh, think he, he was. was. He was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's uh, he's. Um, What's the name of that test where they just show like sort of random? Is that the Rorschach test? Is uh, Rorschach? Rorschach test. Yeah, um, where they just show like blobs of ink. You should just do that with your wife. Just hold up <laughs> photographs of. What do you think about when you see this photograph of? You know, Paul Warhorst. <laughs> you know, Chris yeah. Bart Williams. Just what, what? What's the first word that comes into your mind when you when you see this photograph? Chris, of Chris Bart, Bart Williams. Williams. I haven't heard that name for a long time. Mm. Let's talk about Usain Bolt's stunning win now and the uh, rather definite portrayal of good versus evil uh, in the race and the build to the race and during it, the win itself. David Gillick is ready to go on this one, David. We played some of the BBC commentary earlier on, uh, describing Bolt as a superhero who has saved his sport. Would you go that far? I think you just got to put it in, in context of everything that's going on. I think there was a lot of people, obviously, for the whole drug issue around Gatland, that they sort of didn't want to see him win. And then, obviously, Bolt coming through and taking it, I think everyone was kind of going, oh, thank God for that. We're not going to have, I suppose, negative headlines, if you like, of um, a drug cheat hopping up there and getting a gold medal. But... I think you've got to look at it from an athletic point of view as well, that we all hoped Bolt would pull it out of the bag, but going on his current form and the way the season has gone for him, it, was, it wasn't looking like a dead cert whatsoever. So I think, you know, listening to the, to the commentary from BBC, I think there was so much going on, there's a lot of subplots, but I think from where Bolt came from in relation to his performances and to pull it off was, was pretty remarkable, to be honest. Yeah, the BBC, David, uh, certainly went um, went very anti-Justin Gatlin and he doesn't seem happy about it at all. He's talking about boycotting them now. His agent says that they've been very unfair on him, that you can't keep talking about the, the doping issue in the way that they do. And there was plenty of footage of them, um, of BBC commentators celebrating wildly, leaving their objectivity at the door a little bit when Bolt won. Uh, would you have even a shred of sympathy for Gatlin in this case? I don't. Um, no, and I side with, with with the commentators in BBC as well. I think you know when you when you listen to Cram, um, he'd be very anti Gatlin, and along with a few others in there. You know, personally, it's it makes my clean blood boil if you like to see someone like Gatlin out on the track. And I think it's it's incredibly unfair to clean athletes and what it portrays is you're given you're given someone who's who's not only cheated once but he's cheated twice. Um, and he's back on track and, you know, he's he's been allowed into all the meets and, and he's winning races. And I think what it's done for the wider sport, it's just created negative headlines. So, you know, he's going to be frustrated. He's going to be angry that he's continually be put in that light. But at the end of the day, he chose to, to go down that road. Um, he did. And, and that's he's just got to live live with that now. But the sport has no problem with it. He's, he's entitled to compete. I mean, he's entitled to compete on the same basis as anyone else. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're right to say that because the sport has to stand up. The sport has to take responsibility. And yes, okay, he's done his time and he is allowed, if you like, back in. But I don't think that's right. I think the sport has to get tougher. And, you know, to have someone who should be 
banned for life if it was to happen now, is still out there competing. But I don't think Gatlin really does himself much favours as well. Like the way he like he presents himself, the way he jumps around a track, you know that arrogance that he he um he portrays. You know, it's just personally for me, I don't like it. I'm not a fan. Are not these are not a lot of hundred meter sprinters quite <laughs> arrogant though? Is it not sort of something that goes with the territory? Yeah, there is there is that bravado and there is that sort of like mind games going on. But I think just I just I'm not a fan of the way Gatlin comes out. I think you know if he had to put his hands up and try and said, "Look, guys, yeah, I cheated." You know, not that that's okay and okay, you're allowed back in. But I think you might kind of go, "All right, he's done his time." But I, I'm just not for me. It just doesn't sit well with me and. Like you said, yes, there is that sprinting element that everyone's kind of puffing the chest out and, and, and ripping it up and doing all that. But it just, for me, doesn't, doesn't sit well. Is there a risk or is there a problem attached, though, David, to this ent- almost this entire idea that the, the sport is... I mean, we're basically, the, the, the idea that everyone's behind Bolt is predicated on him being 100%, on us being 100% certain that Bolt is clean. And I think all the recent scandals mean it's very hard for any of us to have 100% confidence that these very top-level guys are clean. So you're in a situation where we're assuming, everyone wants to assume the best when it comes to Usain Bolt, but the whole sport comes crashing down if, ever, if anything ever happens there. Absolutely. Like, it, was, it would be the end of the sport, to be honest, if Bolt was to come out um, and, you, and you find out that he's tested positive or something. But, you know, I, I think this is just one little, little thing. I, I think we have to take a step back and kind of say, OK, the fact that Bolt won doesn't make the sport... Uh, a lot cleaner now or it doesn't kind of fix all everything that that has gone on the last couple of months it doesn't at all it's still it comes that comes down to the, the powers that be the IAAF co coming in there's so much changes going on and like yet yeah, we can focus in on the athletes who have tested positive and who have disgraced the sport but there's a lot of other people who have disgraced the sport who are sitting up in the comfy seats in the stadium they have a lot to take on I don't really understand, David, the, the the notion that if Bolt was, you know, to test positive in so, at some point, that it would ruin the sport. I mean, you know, this kind of this this sport has been through worse things than that. I mean, in in 1988, you know, the Olympic champion was was busted like within a couple of days of winning. I mean, that was a, I couldn't I can't imagine anything that happened with Bolt would ever be bigger than. Um, than that scandal with Ben Johnson. I mean, here you've got a guy who apparently... I mean, the, the thing that amazed me about that race the other day is everyone's saying Gatlin is a, is a cheat, Gatlin is a doper, we know that, and um, Bolt's beating him, and everybody's convinced that Bolt is, Bolt is clean. I mean, when Lance Armstrong was beating dopers in the Tour de France, everyone was fairly sceptical about that. Mm. Yeah, no, look, I, 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 like, I understand your point. Like, we are kind of looking at a, um, a position that, oh, Bolt's clean, Bolt's clean, like... And unfortunately, okay, nobody is 100% confident that anyone's clean anymore. Like, if I was still out, out running, then I'm sure people are going, oh, I'm sure Gillick, he's dirty as well. And, like, that's very frustrating. Like, I, I hope to God, I hope God Bolt is clean and nothing ever comes out about him because I believe it would, it would crumble the sport. He's such a big icon. He, he, like, he's bigger, than, he's bigger than the Ben Johnson of 1988 in what he's done for the sport over the last couple of years. So I do kind of like challenge the point of that, yes, the sport has gone through a ringer and 88 was, was a damning year for the sport of athletics. But I do think if something was to happen to Bolt or something was to come out, I think it would be, it would be, it'd be up there, if not more. Just on a, a way more 
technical point, David, I'd be particularly interested in your interpretation or your explanation of what actually happens to Justin Gatlin towards the end of that race. He, he, people are saying he bottled it, which seems harsh enough, but he certainly is, his technique seemed to desert him over those last 10 metres. Yeah, I think, you know, what happened there was just pressure from Bolt. And Bolt was very close to him. And I think Gatlin hadn't really been in that position all season. He was used to kind of being a couple of metres ahead at that stage of the race. And what happened last night was Bolt was so close that it was almost like Gatlin tried that little bit extra, little little bit more kind of in the last 10 metres. And he actually almost stumbled. You can actually see his arms coming up a little bit high. Um, dipping to the line a little bit early, which means his hips go forward, his stride line goes out the back door, and he's just not covering as much ground. Now, these guys are travelling at very fast speed, so there's a little centimetre, a little inch of an adjustment can make a huge difference, and I think that's what happens. So, if if Gatlin had a kind of maintained his height and his hips were high and travelled through the line, he might have actually held off Bolt. But I think what what really did happen was it was just the pressure there. I wouldn't go as far as say he bottled it. I think it was just one of those pressure races where he just tried too hard. And I've I know that for myself is sometimes if I try too hard, you tense up and you actually don't go as quick if that makes sense. But mm. I think last night it was just simple simple fact that Bolt was just putting the pressure on. And Gatlin tried too hard and he tried to dip to the line a little bit too early and it cost him the race. David, always good to talk to you. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. The flame hair, the flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now before you give it up. Oh, you've raised, you've raised something interesting there, Ken. Bolt. The shock of Usain Bolt if it was ever to come to pass that it turned out that Usain Bolt was a doper yeah. compared to Ben Johnson. So Ben Johnson, there are a couple of things. Ben Johnson was, we were, well, I was only eight. So, I mean, it obviously shocked me quite a lot. I didn't really understand what, what was going on. Yeah. But, <laughs> what is happening? This is, but he won. What? Now he's lost. Here's a sporting See? event I can easily understand. <laughs> by eight, I'm eight years old. Here are eight guys lining up. Uh, they're going to race. And whoever crosses the line first is the winner. Okay, I can understand this. I mean, it's easier to understand than, say, cricket. Uh, you know, I mean, I, yeah. it's pretty straight up and down. Cr- actually, I watched a lot of cricket at that age as well. I didn't really understand that. It is true that you can never again experience a sporting scandal with quite the same level of confusion and bewilderment. <laughs> That was the case. But not even again, say somebody who was 28 at the time was yeah. absolutely stunned because it just, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't seen, well, it was always, oh, the East Germans, they're all doping, sure, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there, but I mean, you know, a Canadi- Canadian man. sprinter, an extremely yeah. muscled, powerful finishing Canadian sprinter couldn't possibly be the case. Obviously, it's, obviously it's very different now. You, you shouldn't be surprised if anyone tests positive, right? But, I think there is so much riding on Usain Bolt. There's no way that the sport is saved, as David said, just because he won this race. Same old stuff. If but, it happens with Bolt, it's just the same as everything else. I mean, no, it's, it's like no, no, it's, but it's almost. It wouldn't be a million miles off Lance, you know. Oh yeah, that's well, how reliant the sport is now on this one guy being clean. But as far as I know, the Tour de France took place there on, on in in June, July. Seems to seems to still be on the go. Well, yeah, crowds were down. Well, crowds were down on the Lance era. Mm-hmm. By a huge amount. 
I'm going to say yes. Even though I'm not 100 percent sure, we're having but for the purposes of a, a polarizing board, debate. I'm going to say, yeah. Um, look, I, you know, I think it survives. You know, I mean, they, they, they'd had doping scandals before. I mean, the Ben Johnson thing. The reason I think it was bigger than Bolts could be is that it was the first one. It was the first, it was the yeah. Olympic champion. A couple of days. How long was it? Like two days after? Oh, it was the night. It was the very oh, next day. The next day, yeah. Being stripped of his medal and the whole world being surprised. There was a scene, if it happened with Bolt. Would anyone really be surprised? There was a scene uh, in uh, one of those Yeah, everyone would have kind of gone... Everyone would go... Do you know what actually... Yeah, did, you know yeah, what? He did. Reaction- he was doing very fast times. Yeah. Like I mean, he was obliterating the times that all these dopers had set. Yeah. Like, way faster than Ben Johnson. I mean, he's like, <laughs> like 0.3 of a second faster or whatever. Or no, 0.2 of a second faster than Ben Johnson. There are all the arguments that Usain Bolt was outstanding from the very early Had similar age. arguments about Lanceterware at yeah. the time, you know? In a weird, in a weird well, way. Femurs, his femurs are really long and his, his lungs are really big and his heart is huge. He's got a huge there heart. There was all that, yeah. He's got a huge yeah. heart. And I, I, I think this, and again, like we, all you can do is believe in Bolt if you really want to believe in Bolt and, and take it from there. And I think that there are, like, I actually had a, to continue the the personal story oversharing. Mm. Uh, I decided to tell my wife to come in and watch Justin Gatlin and Usain Bolt, and uh, you know, kind of the first question she asks, you know, I'm trying to paint the picture for her in the three minutes beforehand. It's like, well, how can we be so sure Usain Bolt is clean? And I, I hear myself saying, well, you know, he's a lot, he's a lot taller than uh, <laughs> yeah, a totally a different body shape from uh, all the other the, uh, uh, sprinters. And, if you look uh, back, most of the great sprinters have been six or five inches tall. You know, most of the pacey lads out there. It's the same in football. The paciest players are usually the ones six foot five and above. Yeah. It's a huge advantage that he has being that big, being uh, yeah. that tall. And, like, and that's, you know, so I, I think that the reaction, if, if Usain Bolt's ever was to uh, fail a drugs test would be uh, annoyance that you believed in him for as long as you did when you stacked the evidence uh, you know when you when you stacked just that idea that he's ran 9.59 hmm. and that's pretty amazing time and that, and like that's you're going to be you 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 would be annoyed with yourself in that sort of a situation I think but as of right now I'm just happy the guy who you know, he beat the definite doper yesterday, and I think we should probably all be happy with that. I think the nine point five eight. Nine point five eight. I think sorry. the unarguable fact also is that this that the this dynamic between the two men drummed up a hell of a lot of interest. A hell of a lot. There was a Mayweather Pacquiao vibe to it. Yeah, it's it was it's, it was almost it's you know boxing and. Uh, and athletics, particularly hundred meter sprints, they're the, they're the sports that can pit individuals against each other that you feel you know in some way. Certainly in in Bolt's case, so there's no doubt that the good versus evil, the clean versus doper dynamic mm. is good for business. Yeah, it's, I actually... res- it's wrestling though, isn't it? I mean, it's just wrestling. You know, when you when you set it up like that, I mean, that's that doesn't really describe anything that's going on between Usain Bolt and and Justin Gatlin. I mean, is, has Usain Bolt even said anything about Justin Gatlin? Is, is there even any beef? On the record, like, has he ever said, oh, this guy shouldn't be sharing a track with me? I bet he has, has he? I don't know, although I always find interesting the footage beforehand when they show them in the, uh, getting changed together, all mm-hmm. sitting beside each other, all strutting around the place. It's bizarre that he, himself and Gatlin are... They don't really seem to be, you know, at loggerheads, Sorry, do they? you wanted to get back in there? Well, no, it's just that uh, I actually went on YouTube today to try and find uh, uh, a clip that I was going to send you on of uh, Mo Farah's medal presentation. You know, Mo Farah does this kind of eyes wide open 
toothy grin kind of thing that mm-hmm. gets them onto the front page of the papers, which actually looks nice in a photograph. If you have to watch footage of a man doing that for a full minute, yeah, it's a pretty bizarre and weird thing to look at. Just this guy staring bug-eyed at some photographers for like a, like 90 seconds. Uh, but I So I typed in, you know, Mo Farah Medal Ceremony Beijing 2015, nothing. Uh, and then I typed in, you know, World Championships Beijing 2015 and like f- the first four pages of footage from the World Championships that we're in at the moment, every, it was just different coverage of the 100 metres final. <laughs> and you do realise that for all your talk of like this being a festival of athletics, the 100 metres still puts bums oh, yeah. on seats in a way that no other event even comes close to. Murph, have you ever wondered what my favourite genre of football-related YouTube videos is? Uh, the reaction oh, Diego Maradona the Napoli years no this is a full genre it's the reaction of oh. mega passionate football fans after their team has suffered an embarrassing defeat you got the job on the technicality like uh, that character there yeah, exactly yeah. yeah well imagine my excitement this morning when I saw that Lawrence Donegan friend of the show had tweeted a link to a video of a Kilmarnock fan not too happy at all about their 4-0 defeat to Ross County, as you wouldn't be, I suppose. Decides to wait until he gets home. Before. It, wasn't, it wasn't a Vox Pop, as that previous one was, with Man United fan and the Arsenal Got supporter. Got the job on the technicality. That's our friend again. Uh, he, so he decides to wait. He obviously, he doesn't want to lose it completely, so he needs to think about what he wants to say. Sticks the phone on, sticks it into his own face, and starts letting rip at his club, the board of directors, everybody involved, essentially, except the goalkeeper, who, weirdly, he absolves of blame. This is about six minutes long. Because the goal he gave him his glove. Oh, yeah, he produced it with a flourish, the goalkeeper's glove at one stage. This is the one guy you can't actually blame, you know? Even though he apologised to me personally after the game, he shouldn't. Six minutes long, so we're not going to play the whole lot, but we'll pick it up as he reaches a furious crescendo of rage. I mean, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Fucking listen to me. Listen to fans. Because we're the future of the club. Bring the new to the future of the club. Tell these guys, just need to fucking work on it. Training ground done and dusted. Gary Ott, I think you need to win at Mo- Motherwell next week. See if you don't get a result at Motherwell. You're away, mate. Your bags and your desk. Boom. Who would I want in? Get big mix out back in. I've got big Terry Butcher in. Boys with fucking discipline. And knows what fucking playing for the jersey means. I don't fucking know, boys, what we're going to do. But thankful we've got Jamie McDonald because the score lines would be fucking, oh, beginner's book of record stuff. Get a grab! KTID! Yeah, there we go. Unnamed fan at the moment. Unnamed fan. Uh, th- what did I think he say? He's going to give the man his moment. What was the last bit? Uh, get a grip, yeah, uh, said by line. the man who needs to get a grip most on the planet, again, as you were saying. <laughs> and uh, Killy Till I Die was K- the last one. Oh, bit. was it? KTID, I think. Oh. Sorry, Killy Till I Die. Oh, he actually said it in the abbreviated. I think so. Uh, as a, I'm not sure. It could have been Killy Till I Die. The accent there. Jamie McDonald was the name of the goalkeeper. I forgot he mentioned him mm. in the bit of the clip that we were going to play. Their big Terry Butcher is all they need, but how are their Someone results? big. Uh, just a manager, uh, some manager who's big. I'll tell you, it has been a poor start to the season. Kilmarnock uh, <laughs> lost 4-0 to Dundee at home <laughs> the opening day of the season That's That's, the fans are not going to like that despite Jamie McDonald making a string of impressive saves I'm yeah, sure yeah. Uh, lost 2-0 away to Aberdeen not Jamie McDonald's fault um, two all draw with uh, Celtic <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's not bad uh, two all draw away to Partick Thistle so you would have thought you know, there's been up. definite upward, upward curve there so you can see why our unnamed fan 
got so annoyed at the, the slump there on Saturday, which saw them crash to that 4-0 defeat to Ross County. Now, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of Ross County or indeed Dundee, but if you're conceding four goals at home mm-hmm. to either of those two teams... While your goalkeeper is playing a stormer. Yeah. In the first five games of the season, I mean... A lot of people are going to be pretty upset. All right, we'll tweet a link to that entire video at Second Captains. And don't forget, especially to our hashtag PBezzlers around the world, don't forget to get on and to tell us where we should go on our next trip. We really want your <laughs> input on that one. I'm sure you'd be delighted to give it to us. Thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. And uh, thank you, Kieran. And thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. Bye. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home.